What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Launcher Out. I'm your host, Jack Lenart. We've got another great episode for you today. Pat Ryan joins the podcast to talk about the first five games of Notre Dame's 2022 season. We talked about our reactions to each of those games and how our expectations have changed. Before we get to that conversation, we have a quick word about Anchor. I'm joined once again by my good friend, Pat Ryan. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. Uh, appreciate you having me. It's always a good chance to to catch up with you uh, off the air and then to definitely talk about uh, a little bit of Notre Dame, little Notre Dame football today. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing all right myself. Um, it's It's been a minute since I've been able to record one of these podcasts. I think the last one we did was about uh, just a week before Notre Dame's opener against Ohio State. Uh, so yeah, we got uh, a lot of stuff yeah. to talk about to, to to catch up on how the season has progressed thus far. Um, I guess uh, I mean we could start kind of with just a broad, open-ended question. Um, how have your expectations changed since the start of the season? And I guess how have you experienced these first five games of the twenty twenty-three season? Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to start with the second one. The experience has been quite the roller coaster, um, really quite the roller coaster. I, um, for, for different reasons have had some flashbacks. Actually, I think it was the was it 2015, the fall of 2015, the season that Notre Dame was on Showtime when Malik uh, got hurt and uh, Deshaun Kaiser came in and threw that bomb against Virginia that went viral for the Virginia fan. That that season felt like it had some um, ups and downs and was a little bit of a wild ride. And this one makes that season look pretty boring um, so far. Uh <laughs> So I think I've experienced every raw emotion possible this year. Uh, I've been shocked. I've been sad. I've created new curse words. Uh, but then at the same time, in the same you know month-long stretch, felt pretty optimistic and relieved and at times really excited. And thankfully, more excited recently than mad. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, that's definitely, there's been a, a whole mixed bag of emotions um, and it's been quite the roller coaster so far. Um, <laughs> and I know you, you, you actually went to the Marshall game and yes. Uh, so you and your wife welcomed your, your first child late last year and his first three Notre Dame games unfortunately ended in losses. Um, was there ever a point at which you thought young Declan would never see Notre Dame win a football game? Uh, there was. Um, <laughs> that you know that point actually came against Cal. It didn't. It didn't even come against Marshall. So yes, thanks for bringing that up. He was born uh, shortly before the uh, Fiesta Bowl. So really exciting time in our lives. The Fiesta Bowl went as it did. Um, and then you're right. He was 0-3 after his first trip up there. Um, 
you know, my first trip up there was uh, in the fall of 1993 when we upset then number one Florida State uh, in the Lou Holtz era. And uh, those were the expectations I had for poor young Declan, <laughs> who instead watched uh, a, uh, I would say, below average power five running back look like a Heisman contender uh, against us in South Bend. Uh, but no, that, I thought we were never going to win a game again when we were playing Cal, and Cal jumped out to that early lead on us. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Uh, yeah, I really didn't know when his first win was going to come. We uh, were headed back up there in November, and originally he was coming with us. But depending on what kind of superstitious vibes we're getting in the next month, he may or may not join us up there <laughs> for the Clemson game. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I'm sure he'll be watching very intently at home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, I guess walking through these these first five games, one of the the main aspects uh, that was I, at least surprising to me was the offensive line uh, struggling a bit to sort of find the rhythm and um, Notre Dame just having trouble generating a run game. So through the first three games, so at, at Ohio State, they averaged two and a half yards a carry. Against Marshall, they averaged three and a half yards a carry. And then against Cal, they averaged 3.6. Then against North Carolina and BYU, they averaged 5.6 and 5.2 yards per carry, respectively. So just a, I mean, like night and day with the production of the run game and also the performance of the offensive line. Um, I guess from your point of view, do you just view that as um, a unit just taking a couple games to kind of mesh? Um, I mean, there was a whole lot of talk about East Stan returning to Notre Dame, and maybe there was just some discrepancies between how they were being instructed from Jeff Quinn's coaching to now East Stan. Um, what was your takeaway on the performance of the offensive line? Yeah, um, so uh, it's great that you you bring that up, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, I do think that the offensive line uh, deserves the majority of the success. If you were going to place the the praise on any one group, um, including the coaching staff, uh, not that I think they're doing a bad job by any means, but if you're going to place – the the responsibility for their success in one group, I believe it belongs to the O-line. Um, and it's nice that they get some attention away from the, the whole quarterback switch, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But, um, you know, one, Harry, Coach Eastan was asked about that. And uh, he said that really the biggest difference is that they're starting to play cohesively, um, which really shows up in um, – I don't have the stat in front of me, but the average number of QB pressures against um, either Buckner or Pine has dropped drastically, uh, which is, I think, another nice compliment to say that, well, it's not just the running backs and it's not just the scheme. It's really the offensive line that's responsible for the the notable jump in their yards per carry. Um, 
Harry Heastan's first year at Notre Dame, their first uh, like four or five games against Power Five opponents, they did not average more than three and a half yards per carry either. Um, and so I don't know if it's his coaching style directly or if it's, you know, getting the in game film that is impossible to replicate to really get to teach those kids um, what he wants or expects out of them. But uh, whatever it is, seems to really come on as they get into the, the full swing of the schedule or full swing of the season. Yeah. And I think another point um, that's worth mentioning is that, I mean, the, there's definitely some signs of the offensive line underperforming last season as well. Um, and I think some of that may have been attributed to the fact that they, you know, kind of needed to start a, a bunch of different guys, including two true freshmen. Um, and I think one thing that they, they really miss is, I mean, you, you miss a back like a Kyron Williams, who even if you're not really generating all that much of a push up front or, or creating big holes, he could make something happen out of nothing. And I, I think last year um, he ranked pretty lowly as far as running backs, uh, like average yards before first contact. Um, but still had like a crazy productive season because that's just the caliber of player he was. So um, I think that that we probably should have uh, known that this was going to be a little bit more of a process to uh, get this this unit up to the standard of what you expect from like a good Notre Dame team. Um, and I think we're we're seeing that growth at least so far. Um, and their next true test I think is going to like probably won't come until Clemson. Um, but I mean, hopefully things continue to trend in the right direction. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. You, you make a great point about the two freshmen. How about the, the all American and Jarrett Patterson coming back to Notre Dame foregoing his uh, likely high mid round, if not high round draft pick and switching positions, uh, making that, position switch uh with uh Zeke Carell um moving away from center that that I think is a little bit of an adjustment as well Blake Fisher was really highly touted out of high school he was a really vocal uh recruiting advocate in that class and then towards a blew out his knee in the first game of the season last year against Florida state. So this is essentially his first real season. So new positions, new players. And I, I think you're exactly right. Seeing kind of the culmination of all of those things turn into what um, both Harry Heaston and Marcus Freeman talked about in the off season of what their vision of what the offense and specifically the offensive line would be. Yeah, and I guess like sticking on the theme of the run game, um, I had kind of alluded that they don't really have a back that's maybe the caliber of a Kyron Williams, but what they do have is like a committee of guys who I think it's pretty um, easy for for them to kind of use them all inter interchangeably, and like they're not really struggling to make sure one guy uh, has a role carved out for him. Um, I think they're all pretty complimentary and you've got guys like Tyree and Diggs who can be used both in the running game and the passing game. And then you get 
a bruiser like Estime, who um, you can use in those short yardage situations. And, um, and really he could be kind of like an every down back. He's, he's shown that at times. Um, so that, I mean, just the fact that you have that quality depth there uh, can only help and also mitigate some risk uh, if there are any injuries that do occur at a later point in the season. Yeah. Uh, what, what was the quote this week about how bulldozers aren't supposed to get off the ground or <laughs> they're not supposed to be in the air or something when he leaped over that guy? That um, was pretty, pretty awesome uh, to see. And they, uh, they all deserve a ton of credit this year. You know, the first two games were what they were. Um, and then against Cal, Chris Tyree really um, – to put the team on his back, I think, is way too strong of a word, especially when the offensive line looked so much better in the second half. But he was really a dependable guy when they needed someone to depend on. Um, and and then after that, SMA breaks out and has a great, great game against Carolina – and then Logan Diggs um, really emerges after he had been really quiet to start the season and people thought he may get buried on the depth chart and never really see the field again. And, and all three of those guys deserve a lot of credit. So does Coach McCullough keeping his room uh, of his stable of hosses, if you will, <laughs> uh, all ready to go and, and upbeat. And, and obviously uh, Coach Reese, deserves some of that credit as well, finding ways to really maximize all of their ability. Um, and it, it, you're right. Not, not any one of them in particular, maybe I'm biased because I loved watching Kyron run the ball. And I can't wait to watch him in the NFL when his ankle is better, but um, none of them individually quite to the level that Kyron finished Notre Dame at, uh, but all of them with really game-changing qualities in the right kind of situation. And they've done a really good job getting those guys into those situations. Yeah. Not even to mention uh, the freshman, Jerry and Price, who'd suffered an Achilles injury before the season started, but yeah. was looking like he was going to be involved in, in the offense as well. So um, they got, I mean, quite a, a, a good amount of, of quality depth at the position that I think it's been a while since we've seen something like that. Um, yes. But uh, picking up on something that you had alluded to earlier, um, so Notre Dame did have to uh, change quarterbacks due to injury. Um, Tyler Buckner, Buckner suffered an injury during the, the second half of the Marshall game that ultimately required season-ending surgery. Um and so in comes Drew Pine, who I guess there was some discussion. I don't know how serious it was that there was a legitimate chance Drew Pine could be Notre Dame starter to start the season. Um, he comes in, has a shaky start against Cal, um, but in the last, uh, I guess you could say, what, 10 quarters of football, he's looked, he's looked great. Um, I think so far this season he's completed around like 72% of his passes. He's thrown for nine touchdowns. Um, and uh, particularly against BYU, he looked in, in complete control and had a couple of, of very nice throws. Um, what has been your assessment on his play so far? Um, and I guess how sustainable do you think that is um, moving forward? Yeah. Um, so I, First, about Buckner. Um, 
his injury is a, a pretty significant one. You know, people talk about AC separations and, and AC injuries. Uh, it's really common to have a, it, it, there's a big spectrum of those injuries, which is a separation between two of the bones in the front of the shoulder and very common in football players land on that side. You either have a break in the collarbone or a, a disruption of the ligaments holding those bones together. What's not common is what he had, uh, which is really seen in high energy car accidents that the two bones were disrupted and the collarbone uh, was pretty close to coming out through the skin based on when they when they alluded to a grade five injury, that means that it's come through one of the muscles above the bone. So a pretty significant injury. I hope his recovery is, is going well. The sports medicine department at Notre Dame is phenomenal. So I'm sure he's in great hands, but Drew Pine. uh, I think he's looked fantastic. You know, I, I don't think, I think the biggest surprise of the season at least to an outsider's perspective uh, is the level at which he's been able to, to pick up and really look better and better each week. Um, The, he, uh, so over the last three weeks, which includes the BYU week, Notre Dame and USC, and this is pretty fun, especially because Notre Dame fans love any, jab they can take at USC, but what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Both teams have played defenses with an average S and P plus rating of 59 between the three combined weeks. Caleb Williams in those three weeks is 58 for 102 for 239 yards per game, seven yards per attempt, six touchdowns at one pick. That's not bad. Uh, especially because that includes the game uh, that they had against Oregon State, which was a thriller on the road, um, which was not his best game. Drew Pine in that same time frame is 63 of 85, 74% compared to Caleb Williams' 57% completion rate for 233 yards per game, but 8.2 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns to one pick. Now, some of those stats are taken out of context which most stats are but that is pretty impressive if you're considering a backup quarterback thrown in in the middle of the season to have that kind of production is way more than I think Notre Dame could have asked for and and, you know Tommy Reese may tell you that deep down he always knew he was going to get this out of Drew Pine but if that was really the case he would have started in week one uh so way more than they could have asked for and a really nice compliment to the continuously improving offensive line that uh, he's got in front of him. I, he's looked more comfortable. You know, he started that game against Cal in a really tough spot. You know, you just lost the most head scratching loss in at least 15 years, maybe maybe ever um and you've got these special green jerseys Manti Teo's coming back after his documentary uh it's 
all of the pressure of the world. Like, okay, they've lost two in a row. What happens if he loses three? And it's on his shoulders the first game that he starts. Um, and it looked like that for the first half. But as soon as he settled in, I think what we're seeing a lot of the personality that he had when he came in in the Wisconsin game last year. You know, when Jack Cohn got hurt and he brought a spark that they needed. And that spark led to uh, multiple non-offensive touchdowns. There was the kick return and the pick six. And all of a sudden, it's 41-17. to 17, And all Drew Pine did was bring a little bit of moxie and take care of the football pretty well. And the next thing you know, they blew out, a, at the time, pretty good Wisconsin team. And on a little bit of a more drawn-out scale, it's kind of happening again this year. Yeah. Um, I think, it, you know, if we do – if he continues this strong play, I think it, it, it definitely will create a very interesting off-season conversation Um and like I don't know, I guess it wouldn't be completely far fetched to think that maybe twenty twenty three, if they're both still on the roster, you see uh, something similar to what we saw in twenty twenty one, where Drew Pines your starting quarterback, but you have packages for Tyler Buckner to come in and run read options type type stuff, RPOs, um, in different ways to to stress a defense. Um, Definitely not ideal, um, and I think those a scenario like that would probably result in one of them entering their name in the transfer portal, or at least increase the probability of that happening. Uh, but I mean, it's been it's been quite the the pleasant surprise to see how well um, Drew has played, and uh, yeah, I mean. It's definitely in, an easy guy to root for, too, um, especially considering he's, he was like a, a lifelong ND fan. Uh, you see like pictures of him as a kid in, in Notre Dame jerseys. Uh, it was, it's always cool to see, see stories like that. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, it's cool to see. And the, the, you know, presence that he has in his – uh, interviews and the way that he carries himself on the sideline. Uh, you could very easily see him becoming a fan favorite, especially if they continue to have success like this, because he's got the the story, like you said, the, the number 10 for Brady Quinn, the, the childhood pictures in the Jersey. And he's got the personality slapping guys on the helmet and sprinting out onto the field. He's got everything to be a true fan favorite, uh, especially if they keep winning like this, I, I think you're, you're right. It's a, it would, it's less than ideal. Anytime there's multiple quarterbacks, Nerdham fans are, are not uh, uh, new to the idea of having multiple quarterbacks. Their offensive coordinator himself was a part of that uh, in multiple of his years, uh, his playing years uh, while he was the quarterback at Notre Dame, but what it definitely does is significantly raises the floor of the quarterback room and therefore of the whole offense. You know, if, if that's your backup, Tyler Buckner comes out and wins the job again in the fall, you have a backup that's capable of winning games against high quality opponents. And that's the best place you could be if you're the offensive coordinator to have that kind of confidence in, in your backup, assuming both of them are still there. And, not to be too forward thinking, but 
I know there's a lot of hype around uh, CJ Carr, their five-star, if not consensus five-star quarterback recruit in next year's class. And this production from Pine, at the very least also, besides raising the floor, helps you bridge the gap between now and when CJ Carr would be ready to take over as hopefully the guy that can do all of that and not need, you know, a second quarterback for those packages. Very true. This is all very true. Um, I guess looking back at uh, the 2022 season and the games remaining on Notre Dame's schedule. So they currently sit three and two, seven games left. Um, the next two are both at home against opponents they should be they'll be heavily favored against that Stanford and UNLV and then they have uh, a pair of what i think are pretty um both pretty tough games um they go to Syracuse and then they host Clemson um and then they finish off the season against Navy BC and then in LA against USC so how are you feeling at the moment um, with regards to uh, your confidence in how Notre Dame is going to finish this season? Um, do you think, like, I guess, uh, well, to state it plainly, what do you think Notre Dame will finish the season? What will their record be? Oh, um, I, I think it will be, I think it will be nine and three. Um, that would be nine and one following their zero and two start. That would include multiple top twenty-five wins, regardless of if you consider top twenty-five at the time they played or top twenty-five in the final polls. Uh, that would be um, as good of a salvage of a season as they could possibly ask for, short of what I think their current goal is. And I don't think it's unrealistic. I really don't to have their goal be 10 and two and a new year's six game. Uh, That would mean running the table. I think they've shown in pieces um, that they're capable of doing that. Uh, You know, you alluded to the schedule they've already played. Phil Steele, one of my favorite college football analytics guys, um, says this far into the season, Notre Dame has played the number one toughest schedule in the country. It helps when one of those games is against Ohio State. Uh, and if if that's really true, if they somehow would have not lost the game against Marshall, even if they played as ugly as they did, they would not only be ranked still, they would be in the top eight right now. And they would be looking at the playoff. They would be looking at a big time showdown at the end of the season uh, in the Coliseum, if they're able to get by Clemson. Um, I think they're going to have to put a complete game together. And the reason that I say nine and three is that uh, I don't know whether it's going to be Clemson or USC, but I think both of those teams are a, a pretty big step up from BYU and some of the, whether it's the coverage calls that, put them at risk or the, the lapses in coverage or inability at some point, if they, 
they don't play a complete game, those are going to catch up to them against a team like USC or, or Clemson. But I don't think it's unreasonable to expect them to win those games. I think they're going to be favored against Clemson. Interesting. What about you? What, what, what do you think they're <laughs> going to finish at? And what would you consider a uh, good outcome given the start, a f- best-case scenario, and no, what you think is most likely? Um, I would say right now, I think they're going to finish the year eight and four. I would consider that a good outcome considering where we are at the moment. Um, and I probably, I think that's the most likely outcome, but that being said, um, you know, their toughest games against Clemson and at USC, both those teams have flaws. Like it's not completely ridiculous to say that Notre Dame could beat them um one day I I I was looking at uh so ESPN's FPI um apparently the game that Notre Dame has the lowest percent chance to win is the finale at USC which I thought was pretty surprising um and I think it might have something in its calculation where it maybe weights home field a little bit too much um, because I don't, I don't think USC really has like a true home field advantage. Uh, and, but that's another story that we can, <laughs> another rabbit hole we can get down. Yeah. But like, like you said, we, we always like to find any opportunity we can to take digs at, at USC. Uh, but yeah, I think right now, I mean, I, I really like what I've seen from them the past two weeks, um, particularly offensively, but I think, uh, Part of that may be due to the fact that BYU and UNC's defenses aren't uh, close to top tier in college football. So uh, I think we're going to, man, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, honestly, I really don't even know how good Syracuse is. I know they have a really good offense and um, their quarterback and running back are, I've been playing really well this year. And I think if there hasn't been a trend of like devaluing running backs, Sean Tucker would be a a first round pick in the draft. Um, So I'm interested to see how they perform uh, that weekend. uh, And that will probably go a long way to tell, tell us how they're going to finish the year. Yeah. I, I think you're right. That's a really, another interesting measuring stick. I thought BYU was a, a pretty good measuring stick. Um, and they are, so some defensive metrics have Cal's defense ranked higher than BYU's. Uh, and I think Cal is completely a game of two halves. And if Notre Dame played both halves, like they played the second half against Cal, I wonder if their final yards per carry would be, more along the lines of what they expect of themselves than certainly along the lines of what we saw in the last two weeks. The Syracuse game, I think, is really interesting. Nerding gets Syracuse after they come uh, – after Syracuse plays North Carolina State at home and then it goes to Clemson. Those are their next two games. Um, and it's not unreasonable to think if Notre Dame plays well in the next two weeks and takes care of their business like Vegas, if not most people would expect them to, Nerding will be 5-2 and two with a five-game winning streak against a couple of quality, but they'll be ranked, I think. 
by that point. So Syracuse will have three top 25 games in a row. It'll be interesting to catch them uh, at the end of that stretch and really see, because if, if they put it together against another quality opponent, the, the Clemson game will be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun because you're right. The, both teams have flaws. The most rec, most uh, replicable thing to take on the road besides a defense is a run game. And I think Notre Dame is on their way to becoming a, a known entity in the run game. Um, Clemson is flawed in other ways. Their defensive line is not one of their flaws. Uh, but Notre Dame gets that one at home, which would be, like I said, a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, you think Notre Dame would be ranked the next couple of weeks. I did see in this most recent AP poll that uh, people were, were taking umbrage to the fact that UNC and BYU both received more top 25 votes than, than Notre Dame did. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, so Douglas Farmer, former uh, fellow alumni grad uh, of Notre Dame and alumni of Alumni Hall, uh, the center of the universe, uh, has some pretty strong opinions on the polls. I think, well, I, I, don't, I don't think it's right. You know, I, I don't think anybody that looks at those two teams certainly now would say that either of those teams is a better team than Notre Dame. And, and the fact that they're ranked higher is more of a, um, a result of the way that some of those writers think in the old school BCS way uh, where you get this arbitrary ranking at the beginning of the season. And when you lose, you may fall a little bit, but then you're stuck and nothing else can move you. And um, I don't think either of those teams are better teams than Notre Dame. And I, I do think that over the month of October, that will finish playing itself out. They won't finish the season ranked ahead of Notre Dame. Um, unless Notre Dame goes eight and four and finishes unranked, but they would be eight and three headed into the USC game. And I think ranked ahead of both of those teams. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think Notre Dame's probably going to finish the year ranked ahead of both those teams. I just thought it was funny considering how like, you know, it's like two weeks ago they played UNC and then last weekend they played BYU. Just like, it's not like, Notre Dame opened the season against North Carolina, and it's like a result that was a top of mind of these AP voters. Um, which right. Is the, the, the ridiculousness of it is. Yeah. Let, let alone, uh, you know, what teams, they, it just happened. It's not like they were a different team then, than they are now. If anything, they're a completely different team now than they were against Marshall with a new quarterback and a month of cohesiveness at the offensive line. But, uh, I, I don't have to convince you of that. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, all right. Well, how about this? Uh, we can, why don't we end on a score prediction for Notre Dame's upcoming game against Stanford? Yeah. Um, that's it. I, I wish. So uh, EJ, Smith is out for the season, right? He's not coming to the Notre Dame game. 
That um, I don't know. I um, I know. I think it was doubtful at, at the at the very least. So I I hope he plays simply because he is he is fun to watch and it would be, um, yeah he's he's out for the season unfortunately but uh, he'll be back without him and I saw the left side of Stanford's line is not going to be able to play and the defense is which is another great topic to get into on a future podcast um, as deep as it's ever been. I don't think Stanford's offense is going to have a lot of fun this weekend. So I'm going to go 28 to 10 in a Notre Dame covers uh, in a grinded out way that feels bigger than that score. All right. I think, um, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm feeling a little bit too confident in Notre Dame's offense. But the first thing that came to mind was 38-17, which I think actually was a not too um, uh, recent uh, result of another Notre Dame Stanford game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see Stanford scoring uh, scoring some points for sure. Um, and one thing that I. I was going to tweet about this, but decided not to because I didn't want to put these bad vibes out. But this is midterms week at Notre Dame because they go on fall break uh, the weekend following this game. And I think that in, in years past, um, there have been some some sluggish performances from the Notre Dame football team following the week of midterms. So I don't know, maybe that says if you want to bet the first half under or something like that. <laughs> or Stanford, Stanford, whatever spread in the first half. But I think overall, Notre Dame should win this one comfortably and continue the the momentum that they have built. Yeah, I, I forgot about the sabermetric uh, fall uh, exams stat, uh, but I would I would be happy with that prediction. And and you're exactly right. In 2018, the final score was 38 to 17. Thought that sounded familiar. It's just recency bias, and that's what's stuck in my head for one reason or another. I, uh, I don't know. I think you've got a pretty, pretty darn good chance that that feels right with the way that their offenses looked. Well, let's hope that's the that's the result. Uh, Pat, thank you so much for for taking the time to to hop on the podcast. It's a pleasure as always. Oh man, always a pleasure. The the pleasure is all mine, man. I, Appreciate you inviting me out. Um, do great work out here on the Slauncher route. And so um, I, uh, I'll i definitely be tuning in um, in the future, and, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. We most definitely will. Uh, but until next time, take it easy. Yep. Go Irish. Thanks again to Pat for taking the time to join the podcast today. If you're interested in more content from Pat, he hosts a podcast called 4 for 40, and I will include a link to that podcast in the show notes of this episode. And if you are enjoying the Slauncher Up, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time, go Irish.